ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so the last section that we were discussing was regarding the times of the prayers and how they have been spread over those five times and some of the possible wisdoms behind having the prayers at those particular times and the reasons why they are spread and the benefits behind them being spread rather than being at one particular time. So moving on from around about that section, there's some issues here that the Shaykh mentions. One of them is, لَوْ أَخَّرَ الصَّلَاةَ عَمْدًا عَنْ وَقْتِهَا فَمَاذَ يَفْعَلْ If a person purposely delays and doesn't bother praying, Delays and delays until the time ends up finished. He knows prayer is in. <coughs> He's aware, but he keeps delaying, delaying, delaying until all of a sudden the time actually ends up finishing. So now what is upon him? The Shaykh says, Yatubu ilallah. Firstly, he must repent. He must repent. Seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this sin that he has committed, this great sin of missing the prayer. وَيَصْلُحُ amal, And he must make sure that his actions are rectified for future, that he never does that again. And of course we know that is one of the conditions of tawbah. When you seek forgiveness from Allah, then one of the conditions of that, of seeking to make tawbah, repentance, is that you ensure a firm, resolute mind that you will never return to that sin again. If in your mind you're thinking, I'm going to do it again, then your repentance is not sincere. Your seeking of forgiveness is not sincere. One of the conditions is that you must have a resolute, firm mind that you will never return to that sin again. So the person must repent. However, لا يلزمه القضاء He doesn't have to make up that prayer. Because whether he makes it up or not, it will not count for him whatsoever. A person who has missed the prayer on purpose, then there is no qada for him. That person can't say, I'll make it up, then I'll pray it now. Now that he's missed it on purpose, there is no such thing as making up that prayer. He missed it on purpose. He will now be accountable upon that. He needs to repent for that. But there's no such thing as go and make it up now. What if though a person delayed the prayer out of its time, not purposely, but out of forgetfulness. A person is doing something, he's busy, preoccupied, he's renovating the house, whatever. All of a sudden he finally looks and he realizes, Dhuhr time has gone, Asr has begun. 
So accidentally, without realizing, without focusing, suddenly he just looks and he realizes the time has gone. What's the ruling on that type of person? Or similarly, similar to that, somebody who delays the prayer out of its time due to a mistake. A mistake. For example, he's looking for the signs in the sky regarding the shadow starting or regarding the shadow being equal. He's looking at these signs and he misinterprets one of the signs and then afterwards when he examines carefully, he realizes actually that's gone beyond where it was supposed to be. The time has gone by mistake. Or ignorantly. He ignorantly didn't know exactly what the timings were and as a consequence missed it. What's the ruling on that type of person? Meaning all of these examples are examples where someone has let the prayer go out of its time without intent. He never intended it, never made the intention to do it, but it's happened (coughs) for various reasons, not that he intended it at all. What's the ruling on that type of person? So that person does make it up as soon as he remembers. Because he never missed it on purpose in the first place. So when he remembers, as soon as he remembers, he's got to go pray. And that is in the uh, hadith, إِذَا رَقَدَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَنِ الصَّلَاءَ أَوْ غَفَلَ عَنْهَا فَلْيُصَلِّيهَا إِذَا ذَكَرَهَا If you sleep and you forget, you oversleep for example, or you are negligent, you don't pay attention and suddenly the time has gone, then in those types of cases, فَلْيُصَلِّيهَا إِذَا ذَكَرَهَا You pray it, as soon as you remember it. As soon as you remember, then pray. Another example the Sheikh gives here. رَجُلٌ نَامَ وَوَضَعَ الْمُنَبِّهِ عِنْدَ رَأْسِهِ وَلَكِنَّهُ مُوهُ كَانَ عَمِيقًا فَنَبَّهَ الْمُنَبِّهِ وَلَكِنَّهُ لَمْ يَنْتَبِهِ Somebody puts the alarm on, Fajr for example, puts the alarm on, puts the alarm next to his head, alarm goes off, but he's in a deep sleep, and he just doesn't realize, doesn't pay attention, doesn't wake up. And he doesn't actually end up waking up until the sun has arisen. What's the ruling on that type of person? As soon as he wakes up, as soon as he <coughs> pays attention, as soon as he awakens, he's got to pray. But this the scholars do mention, it is not something you can do out of habit. It's not like you can do that six days a week. Five days a week, six days a week, you're waking up late, you're missing your Fajr alarm, and you say, well, I had the alarm and I just didn't wake up. You can't do that five, six, seven days a week. Uh, as the people, they do the alarm goes off, they'll press the snooze, etc., press the off button, and then you're asleep again. Five days a week it happens and you don't wake up. Then the excuse isn't applicable to you. The excuse then will not be applicable to you. These narrations and these excuses, these exemptions, are applicable to the one who genuinely makes an effort, but it just so happens on the other occasion, he is overcome by sleep. <coughs> Somebody who five, six days a week presses the off button when the alarm goes off and falls asleep again, and then doesn't get up till the morning, then that will not be applicable to them. They'll be sinners. They will be considered as missing it on purpose. Every time you wake up and you just press the button and press it off, I'll get up in two minutes and you fall asleep every day. Five days a week you do that, then you'll be a sinner. You're missing it on purpose now. 
It's as if you're missing it on purpose now. You're not making the effort. You're not making the effort to get up really. If that's what you're doing all the time, pressing the off button, falling asleep again. So, this is not about somebody who makes a habit out of falling asleep like that. This is the odd occasion. Somebody, they're fatigued, they're overcome by sleep. And so it happens. And we mentioned the narration, the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, when it occurred to the Prophet ﷺ on one occasion, mentions in that hadith that when the battle of Khaybar occurred, then they were traveling by night. They were traveling, traveling, traveling until into the middle of the night they were still traveling. In those days of the camels, the horses, the baggage and everything, the way traveling was in those days. So they were traveling, traveling into the depths of the night. Then at some point during the night they finally camped up. They finally camped up and the Prophet ﷺ said to Bilal that you keep watch. Because it was late into the night, Fajr wasn't so long away. Said to Bilal, you stay alert and keep watch and wake us up for the time for Fajr. So Bilal radiallahu anhu, initially then, he stayed awake, everybody else went to sleep. He stayed awake and he began to pray, night prayer. He began to pray to keep awake. But eventually, when it got very close to Fajr now, very close to Fajr, the night was passing and passing and passing. Bilal prayed what he could pray, radiallahu anhu, towards the last part of the night when there was just a small amount of time left now before Fajr was going to come. Bilal stopped praying then, radiallahu anhu, and he sat down to take a small break. Sat down to take a small rest before the Fajr prayer, before the Adhan and get ready and everything. So it mentions, just before Fajr, فَلَمَّا تَقَارَبَ الْفَجْرِ اسْتَنَدَ بِلَالِ إِلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ مَوَاجِهَ الْفَجْرِ His riding animal, his camel or whatever it was, he sat back, leaned, leaned onto his riding animal just to take a small break before Fajr. It was very close now. Leaned back to just take a small break before Fajr. As he did that, غَلَبَتْ بِلَالًا عَيْنَاهُ Obviously now, traveling all day, he'd been up all night, he'd stayed up and prayed all night. When he took that rest, lay back on his riding animal, he fell asleep. The sleep overcame him, the fatigue and the sleep overcame Bilal radiallahu anhu too. فَلَمْ يَسْتَيْقِذْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَلَا بِلَالْ وَلَا أَحَدٍ مِنْ أَصْحَابِهِ So none of them woke up, or everybody else was already asleep anyway. Bilal radiallahu anhu fell asleep too. So nobody woke up at the time of Fajr. Until the sun came up and they were all still asleep. And then when the sun came and the heat of the sun started hitting on their faces, the Prophet ﷺ was the first one to become alert. First one to wake up. So when he woke up, when he woke up and he realized what had happened, the Prophet ﷺ realized what had happened and Bilal had obviously fallen asleep too after the fatigue Realized what had happened, he said to Bilal, A Bilal, that, oh Bilal, like as if to address Bilal, what happened? So Bilal said, أخذ بنفسي الذي أخذ بأبي أنت وأمي يا رسول الله بنفسك. Bilal said, I was overcome by the same thing that everybody was overcome by after that long journey and the fatigue and the sleep. 
I was overcome just like everybody else. I, I was overcome and I fell asleep. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to them, pick up all your riding animals, everything, your luggage, the caravan, and move from this place. So they moved slightly to another area. When they moved slightly to the other area, they all made wudu. And the Prophet ﷺ told Bilal, do the uh, iqama, do the adhan, the iqama, <coughs> or to do the iqama. And then after that, they prayed their sunnah and they prayed their fajr prayer. So this is a proof, hadith is in Muslim, of an occasion where the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba were overcome by fatigue and sleep and they overslept. But then, as soon as you wake up, when you genuinely are overcome in a situation like that, then you get up and you pray. So that is what occurred on this occasion. This is all, remember, in the first condition, which is the condition of time of the prayer. Sheikh gives another example now. And this is a brief book of fiqh. When you go into the detailed books of fiqh, you get a lot more of this. But these are just some brief examples. Another brief example the Sheikh gives, and like I say, you find this in detail in the books of fiqh. <coughs> he says, imagine, he gives an example, but the point of it is, he says, imagine uh, you're out camping, for example, you're out camping, and overnight, somebody steals everything from your tent. Every, everything is stolen. And you go to sleep in your boxes, for example, that's all you do. All of your clothes, everything is stolen. Everything is taken. You wake up in the morning, everything is gone. All your clothes are gone. Fajr time, you wake up now to pray Fajr, everything is gone. How are you going to pray Fajr? you got no clothes. Even the tent, they took the tent as well. You woke up into the air. Everything's gone. You're just sleeping there in your boxes. So now how are you going to pray? How are you going to pray? Fajr time, there's 20 minutes left. You've just woken up, 20 minutes left. It's going to be sunrise. Those guys next door, you see their tent gone now. It must have been them. Took everything from you and they've, they've, they've run away. What are you going to do? How are you going to pray? So now uh, you've gone camping. Uh, it's a campsite which is four miles from your house. It's going to take you at least an hour to walk home. You can walk home. You can get your clothes out, but it's going to be after Fajr. So what's your options? Pray without covering your body, praying naked practically? What do you do? What do you do? What's the fatwa? So you got two choices. Two choices. You're gonna, something's gonna have to give. Either you can walk home four miles away. It's gonna take you an hour. You can get your clothes. And you can fulfill the condition. We're gonna get to that condition in a bit. The condition about covering your body when you pray. So you can walk home four miles away. You can walk. It'll take you an hour or so. Get your clothes on. Fulfill the condition of being covered properly and then pray. But that means you're gonna forfeit the condition of time. Or, you can forfeit the condition of covering yourself properly when praying, which is a condition of the prayer too. It's a condition of the prayer too. For the man, absolute minimum, navel to the knees got to be covered. 
your boxers aren't going to do that. So you can forfeit the condition of covering and maintain the condition of time. So which one are you going to do? That's your choice basically. Which one are you going to forfeit? Which one are you going to keep? That's your choice. You can keep the time, but pray naked. Or you can keep the clothing condition, but miss the time. Which is more priority? That's the question. Correct. The more important condition is the time. So you would pray, if that's how you had to pray, you would have to pray. That is more important than the condition of covering even. The time is the key factor. Time is the key factor. So you got 20 minutes left now. You could try for 10 minutes here, there, looking around, see if you can do something. Nothing's happening. 10 minutes left now. It's going to go. You got to just pray. You have to make wudu and just pray how you are. Because time, that condition, is more important than other things. So if you were in that, a situation of necessity you would have no choice but to maintain the time even if it means forfeiting the clothing this is similar if you're locked in the bathroom for example you can't go out or something well locked in the bathroom you get locked in the bathroom how does that even happen I don't know but if you were locked in the bathroom somehow some sophisticated lock and you couldn't get out Locked in the bathroom, I don't know if that's really... Because certain other problems come into that as well, because the bathroom is one of the types of places where it's prohibited to pray. But in a bathroom situation, you would you would attempt, you would attempt to get out, even if it meant a bit of physical force. You can buy a new lock, they're not expensive. So you would avoid that type of situation. But here in these ones where there is absolute necessity... Then you would pray even if naked. Another question. You're out on your camping site again. You've gone back the following week, bought yourself a new tent and everything. You're back on the camping site again. You go to sleep. You wake up a fajr. This time, this time, they had a bit of mercy on you. They only stole your bucket of water. Your big pile of water, your the, those things, what do you call them? Those, you know, the water containers. They stole your water container. You get up in the morning, you're going to make wudu, your water container is gone. You look around in the campsite, there's nobody else. You're the only, you're the only guy pitching up that night. All around, you know, there's no streams in this area. You've got your map, you've been doing your orienteering. There's no streams in this area. There's no nothing in this area. The nearest village uh, is your home again, four miles away. So now, you have another issue. Either you can forfeit the wudu and just make tayammum, or you can say, well, water is available. It's there, my house. Four miles away. I can get to the water. I can make a proper wudu. But it will mean forfeiting the time of the prayer. Which is more important now? Wudu or the time of the prayer? 
So even though water is available, tayammum is supposed to be when water is not available. Tayammum, there's two main situations when you can do tayammum. One is when there's no water available. There is no water anywhere. Second situation is, water is available, but you're unable to use it. Imagine you had some medical condition on your skin. Doctor says you can't touch water for a week. Then even if you've got water in your home, the tap is there, you can't use it. So you got to make tayammum. So one situation for tayammum is when water is not available at all. Second one, it's available, but you're not able to use it for some reason. Medical condition or other reasons, you can't touch water. Okay, tayammum. In this situation, it's not a medical condition. You've got no problem. Water isn't absent, it's available. It's there, four miles away. You know exactly where it is. So, is tayammum allowed there or not? Uh-huh. Anybody else? Anybody else? Any other offers? Any other fatawa? That's correct. Again, the time is the key. You can get to your house, you know there's water available, but that's going to mean forfeiting the time, then no. You can try it. Make a run for it. But if you're not going to make it, you realize there's 10 minutes left, you're still 2 miles out, you got to just stop, make tayammum and pray. Water is available. But it's only available at the cost of the time of the prayer, then no. You gotta just make tayammum and pray. So you're correct. So basically, the scholars they say the timing of the prayer is the key. There's other examples we're gonna get to them later on. Imagine on your camping site, you were out walking on the hill and you had a fall. Fell down the hill, tumbled down the hill. Broke both your legs, broke both your arms, and broke a few ribs. So then you're taken to hospital. Now you're lying in hospital with bandages all over your body. You know, you've seen it. The arms hanging up and the legs hanging up. You're on the bed like that. Time of the prayer comes in. What are you going to do? Wudu, no problem. Alhamdulillah, you got a male, a male nurse who comes in, Muslim. He does the wudu for you. Somebody can do wudu for you. That's no problem. So he gets the water and rubs it on your arms, on top of your bandages, makes the wudu for you. So you got wudu. Then all of a sudden his bleeper goes, he's got to go. He needed to turn your bed towards the qibla. Your bed happens to be in your room, opposite direction to the qibla. He's had to go. His, his bleeper thing has gone. He's gone. You got 10 minutes left. No way you're getting up to move your bed around. What are you going to do? You're not even facing the qibla. You can wait for this Muslim nurse you know who's been helping you out to come back. But he's probably going to take a while. Could be half an hour. It's going to be after the time is gone. So now your options are forfeit facing the Kaaba and just pray in the opposite direction altogether. But keep the time. Or forfeit the time. Wait for the male Muslim nurse to come back. Just turn your bed around as he always does for you normally. And then you can pray in the direction. But having forfeited the Time. Which one this time? Keep the time and face not even the Kaaba, the opposite direction to the Kaaba and pray. You sure this time? Time is of the essence. So you're going to pray not even facing the Kaaba, you're saying? You're going to pray not even facing the Kaaba? Sure? 100%. 
You're right again. It's the time again. If that was your situation, you would just pray facing the direction you're facing, even if it was opposite to the Kaaba, because the time is going to go, you got no choice. Time is the key. More key than facing the Kaaba even. In that situation, in that scenario we gave, if you were in the hospital like that, 10 minutes left, nobody's going to come and turn your bed around. You got to just pray in the direction you're facing. So the point the Sheikh is making here is the scholars, they mentioned the key factor is this condition. Condition number one, the time of the prayer. That's how important it is. Even those other conditions, they can be forfeited if it means that's the only way to maintain the time of the prayer. So that's number one. Condition number two then we move on to now. Condition number two. Condition number one was the time of the prayer. Condition number two is At-Tahara, purification. Condition number two is purification. Purification, basically meaning that you need to be pure from major and minor impurity. Minor impurity is like going to the toilet, you've broken wind, fall asleep. If you fall asleep, that breaks your wudu. Those are minor things. They break your wudu. Major impurity will be like like intercourse between the husband and the wife. That causes the major impurity, the janaba. All of those major or minor impurities must be removed before you can pray. So if you're upon major impurity after intercourse, etc., then you got to make ghusl and wudu. Ghusl and wudu, and then you can pray. If you're just on minor impurity, you broke wind. You broke wind, so all you got to do is go make wudu. But you must be upon purity to be able to pray. That is the second condition. Clear evidences in the Quran and Sunnah, in the Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تقبل صلاة أحدي صلاة أحديكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ. None of you, your prayer can be accepted. Your prayer cannot be accepted until you make wudu if you had broken your wudu. None of your prayers can be accepted if your wudu broke until you go and make wudu first. Clear hadith, and that's why if you're in prayer. In the middle of prayer, your wudu breaks, what are you supposed to do? Straight away leave the prayer. If you carry on, you're actually sinning. If your wudu breaks in the middle of the prayer, you break wind, for example, it's haram for you to carry on praying. You got to stop the prayer instantly, walk off, go make wudu, and then come back and join in again. If you carry on, some people embarrassed, they carry on, it's a sin. You're sinning, carrying on praying without wudu. So, and that counts for the imam too. Imagine the imam broke his wudu in the middle of the prayer. What would you do then? Imam is leading the prayer and his wudu breaks in the middle of the prayer. He breaks wind in the middle of the prayer. What's going to happen now? He's the imam. What are you going to do now? Huh? Exactly. Imam, same ruling. He's got to stop and go. He can't carry on with the wudu broken. So he's got to leave and somebody from the people right behind him steps up and carries on as the imam. That's what you do. Imam breaks his wudu in the middle of the prayer, he's got to go. You cannot carry on praying without wudu. So he's got to go, and he can maybe just point to somebody as he leaves, and that person steps forward and carries on as the imam. That's what happens. So wudu is a condition of the prayer. 
You must be upon purification to pray. Cannot pray without the wudu. That is condition number two. No issues mentioned in that as such. Condition number three. Condition number three is a bit different to number two. Number three is you must make sure there is no impurity on three things. On your body, on your clothes, and on the place where you pray. Three things must be pure before you can pray. Your body must be pure everywhere. How is that different to number two? You might go make wudu, for example. You might go make wudu. After you've made wudu, you've got a baby, you're changing the nappy, and some of the urine goes on you. Urine falling onto you, does that break your wudu? No, it doesn't break your wudu. But now you've got impurity on you. So you've got to make sure that impurity goes. Imagine the urine fell on your clothes. That doesn't break your wudu. You've just gone and made wudu. You're changing the nappy of the baby. The baby eats foods and solids, etc. Or it's a girl. The urine goes on you. Clothes. Your wudu hasn't broken. You've got wudu, but you've got impurity on you. So condition three is you got to make sure and check. Nowhere on your body is there any impurity. Nowhere on your clothes is there any impurity. And neither on the spot where you're going to pray is there any impurity. If there is impurity on your clothes, on your body somewhere... On the spot where you're going to pray, you can't pray it. You've broken a condition of the prayer then. Condition of the prayer, those three things must be free of any type of impurity. There's a hadith. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ, a child was brought to him. A child was brought to him. And that child urinated. And it went onto the garments. Went on to the garments. So what happened? When that child was brought to the Prophet ﷺ and the child urinated and some of the urine went on his garments, the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, da'a bima'in, told them to bring him some water and he poured it over that area to clean off that urine. Proving that you must purify that urine, that impurity. There's another clear hadith, hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was praying, leading everybody in prayer. بينما رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي بأصحابه إذ خلعنا عليه فوضعهما عن يساره. So one time, the Prophet ﷺ was leading the prayer. Everybody behind him, he was leading the prayer with his shoes on. It's permissible to pray with his shoes on. We'll get to that later, maybe as well. Permissible to pray with his shoes on. The Prophet ﷺ was praying with his shoes on in this hadith. Hadith is in Bukhari. So he was praying with his shoes on one time, and everybody behind him, they were praying with their shoes on too. The mosque of the Prophet ﷺ at that time as well, what was it? the mosque like? The mosque of the Prophet ﷺ, the ground was what? There was no carpet, there was no concrete, it was just mud, normal soil, like a field. A field, how it is, that, that's what the ground was, just normal mud and soil. When it used to rain, it used to get muddy. When they used to go to prostration, they used to get mud in their foreheads. Like you're praying on a field. That's what the ground of the Prophet's mosque was like in those days. It was just a thatched roof. The hay on the roof. Thatched roof. Water used to rain. When it used to rain, water used to seep through. And it used to get muddy on the floor. So they used to pray with their shoes on. Sometimes they used to pray with their shoes on. Permissible. 
In fact, sunnah, not just permissible, it's actually sunnah to do it sometimes. There's a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, the Jews and the Christians, they pray without shoes. So it is sunnah, pray with your shoes, or Jews particularly. So anyway, on this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was praying with his shoes on, and everybody behind him, praying with their shoes on. In the middle of the prayer, as they were praying, in the middle of the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ took his shoes off and carried on. Everybody behind him, Obviously, you can see what's going on even though you're praying in front of you. The imam has just taken his shoes off. So everybody in the rows took their shoes off as well and carried on. That's what happened. At the end of the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ said to them, مَا حَمَلَكُمْ عَلَىٰ إِلْقَائِنِ عَالِكُمْ Why did you all take your shoes off for? He said to them, why? Why did you all take your shoes off for? قَالُوا رَأَيْنَاكَ أَلْقَيْتَنَا عَلَيْكَ فَأَلْقَيْنَا نِعَالَنَا they said, we saw you take your shoes off in the middle of the prayer, so we, we followed you. We all took our shoes off as well. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ So then the Prophet ﷺ told him why he had taken his shoes off in the middle of the prayer. He said, in the middle of the prayer, إِنَّ جِبْرِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ أَتَانِي Jibril came to me in the middle of the prayer. فَأَخْبَرَنِي And he told me, أَنَّ فِيهِ مَا قَذَرِ He told me that there was some impurity stuck in my shoes. Jibreel came and informed me that there was some impurity in my shoes. And that's why I removed them in the middle of the prayer. And then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the last part of the hadith, if you go to a mosque and you want to pray in your shoes, first check them and make sure there's no impurity, then you can pray. If there is impurity, clean it off, then you can pray in them. What's the purpose of this hadith? It proves that if you have an impurity on your garments anyway, including your shoes, you must Remove that, you can't carry on praying with impurity. He was praying because he didn't know there was an impurity on the shoes. As soon as he found out, in the middle of the prayer, remove those shoes. You can't carry on praying with impurity on you. So condition number three here is to remove any impurity from your garments, from the ground, from the body, in order to be able to pray. How much time do we have now? Two minutes, in that case, finish this last part. What is the proof that the ground you're praying on needs to be pure? There's another hadith. Ah. The hadith in Bukhari again, I'm Muslim. On one time, on one occasion, there's a story that the uh, a Bedouin, Bedouin, the people who used to live nomadic out in the deserts and things, they weren't living in Medina. Medina where the Prophet ﷺ was, in the city of Medina, even though in those days it was barely anything, very small. But then outside of the city in the deserts and the, the field areas, nomadic type of lifestyle, traveler type of lifestyle, Bedouins as they're known as. One of these Bedouins, and obviously Bedouins are not like city people. They're, the way they do things is different. This Bedouin came one day to the mosque of the Prophet and went to the corner of the mosque, quietly into the corner of the mosque and urinated. Urinated in the corner of the mosque. When the companions saw him doing that, obviously they were, what's going on? Urinating in the mosque. So they were gonna, like, shout at him and they were going to stop him and drag him, etc. The Prophet said to them, Leave him. Leave him. Let him finish. Why did the Prophet say that? Because there is a principle in the religion. If you're going to stop a something bad happening, but that's going to make something even worse happen, then you don't do it. 
stop something bad happening is going to make something even worse happen, then don't do it. If they had suddenly shouted at him and grabbed him, what would have happened? The urine would have gone everywhere. He was urinating. Exactly. If they stopped him and shouted in the middle of the... He would have... Chaos. And the urine would have gone everywhere. Is that worse? Or is it just allow him in one corner, in one part where he's doing it? That's better in that case. It's a principle in the religion. Don't just say, I've got to stop him and it's going to make something even worse. So the Prophet said, leave him. When he finished, then the Prophet ﷺ explained to him. Told him. He's a Bedouin. Came from the nomad style, the traveler style, didn't know about these things, didn't know about the, the rules of the mosque and different things. So the Prophet ﷺ explained to him that these mosques are respectful places and it is not permissible to come and urinate in a mosque, etc. Then afterwards, the Prophet ﷺ told them to bring him a bucket of water and then that bucket of water was poured all over that area. Water splashed and poured all over that area in order to disperse that urine and purify that area again. The scholars, they use this as an evidence to highlight that you couldn't just leave that urine there because people, this was the mosque. People were going to end up praying on that patch. It needed to be purified. So it was purified by pouring water over it, indicating that the place where you pray needs to be pure. That's the hadith which proves that the place where you pray needs to be pure also. So we'll have to round off on that point today then. Uh, there's still a little bit more to go on this particular condition. And then number four condition is going to be covering. How much covering does a man have to put on to pray? What's the minimum level of garments? What's the types of garments you're allowed to wear when praying? There's certain conditions of the garments you wear, even the thickness of the garments you wear. So what is the rulings about the clothes you got to wear when you pray? And women, women is different. What are the rulings for women? What do women have to wear when they pray? All that topic we're going to discuss inshallah next week. So we'll conclude there for tonight then.